if you would open your Bibles to the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 4. We'll read the final paragraph in this fourth chapter, verses 35 through 41. Before we read, let me just real briefly uh, remind you that Mark stated his purpose in writing this gospel in the very first chapter, in the first verse, where he says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He would have us know that the Lord Jesus Christ, this man from Nazareth, is the very Son of God. And Mark, like all the other gospel writers, Matthew, Luke, and John, has his goal and objective to make it unmistakably clear to us that Jesus is God. He's fully God. Yes, he's a man, but he is the God-man. And that's demonstrated wonderfully and I think unforgettably in this passage before us today. We'll see a beautiful portrait of his humanity and we'll see an amazing demonstration of his deity as well. So if you would follow me as I read beginning in verse 35. And the same day when evening was come, he, and that would be the Lord Jesus, said unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was, in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, the stern of the ship, if you will, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, don't you care that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Would you pray with me? Father, we're all much more needy than we know. Father, would you in mercy and kindness uh, reveal more of the Lord Jesus to each of us that we might see his all-sufficiency for our lives, both here and for eternity. And may he receive honor and glory and power and blessing, all that he deserves among us this morning. Again, Father, feed your flock like a shepherd. We ask in Christ's name, amen. What manner of man is this? Well, a simple answer to that question is, this man is God. Because only God has such power over winds and waves. That is to say, Christ, the very word of God, is the creator of everything that exists. And if he has the power to create it, he certainly has the power to control it. We know from the very opening chapter of John's Gospel, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the same was with God in the beginning. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. So what is shown to us here of Christ is in the context of what for these disciples, these men, was a very terrifying trial. And the lesson the Lord has for these men is a lesson about faith in him. 
particularly in the midst of trials. He says there in verse 40, how is it that you have no faith? This is the issue. It's about faith. Now we know from the scriptures, other scriptures, that waves and storms of the sea that are referenced, particularly in the Psalms, are often pictures of the storms of life, of trials and trouble that we pass through. Without turning, I'll just remind you from Psalm 42, David, he's wanting to express the severity of a trial or a severity of trouble and in the midst of circumstances which were very painful and had nothing to do with water, David says this in verse 7 of Psalm 42, all thy waves and billows are gone over me. He's not talking about water, he's talking about trouble. He's talking about trials. In Psalm 46, which we might know a little bit better, again, David says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, though the waters roar and be troubled. So he's talking about trials, and God's power is often put in terms of him ruling over the waves of the sea. I like what J.C. Ryle said. He said, if there's a simple and single lesson to be learned from this narrative of the stilling of the storm, it is this, that sight, sense, and feelings make even believers very poor theologians. I think we can all say amen to that. We, we have under, we've understood that. We've experienced that. So the size of the waves and the fury of the wind here, the sight of the water filling the bottom of the boat, the boat sinking deeper and deeper into the water, it made these disciples forget almost everything they knew about Jesus. But they didn't forget everything because they at least began to cry out to him. They were so desperate, they make this appeal to the Lord Jesus sort of as a last resort in a spirit of fear. And they say, Master, don't you care? We're about to perish. So in this passage, I I just have four short little things to bring out, and it might make it a little easier to remember. Uh, First of all, the calm before the storm. Uh, the calm before the storm. Then I want to look at the calm in the midst of the storm. I want to look at the calm after the storm. And then maybe strangely we're going to look at the storm after the calm. So that's where we'll go. Look at verse 35 again. The same day when the evening was come, he said, let us pass over to the other side. The same day. If you just look at the first verse of this chapter 4, this day began with Jesus teaching. And he began to teach and he taught probably worked miracles, he, he exerted himself a very full day of work for the Lord Jesus. And those of you men who have labored in the ministry, other men who have labored in studying and teaching, you know how exhausting it can be. You're not just standing for an hour, there's a lot more that goes into it. Very exhausting. For the Lord Jesus, he did this day after day after day. Not only that, but rising a long time before dawn to seek the Lord in prayer. So this was the same day. And it said evening when evening was come. Now, to me, this is not the best time to cross the Sea of Galilee at evening. The Sea of Galilee was 600, I think, and 39 feet below sea level. And winds could come down those mountains and create storms it would arise very quickly but that's what the Lord Jesus determined and he said let us pass over to the other side verse 36 and when they had sent away the multitude they took him even as he was in the ship and there were also with him other little ships it's interesting in Luke's account in chapter 8 
in verse 32, he says specifically they were sailing. Uh, And he uses a very specific Greek word that means to sail. It doesn't mean to row. So that tells us a little something. There was some sort of a breeze that would carry the ship to where they were going. Uh, And and Luke's account says also that as they sailed, Jesus fell asleep. And that's what he says in verse 38 here in our passage. He was asleep on a pillow. Now, brethren, this is a beautiful picture of the humanity of the Lord Jesus. Why is he asleep? He's exhausted. He's a man. He is, he's tired. He's exhausted. He's weary. He's the very one who created the winds. He created the waves. He created the wood that the boat is in. Uh, he made all of these things, and now he even created sleep. The Lord gives his beloved sleep, the Bible says. He creates sleep. All these things he created, he is now employing these things for his own benefit. He's a man. It's a beautiful picture of his humanity. He goes to sleep in the boat because he is a man. Now, brethren, the Lord Jesus is sovereign. He knows what is ahead. He ordained it, and he sent the disciples into it, yet the Lord Jesus Christ is completely at rest in this. He is completely calm before the storm. Now, some of you, I'm aware, are in a storm of life right now. Many of you have been in storms before. All of you will be in a storm before it's over, a storm of life. Now, look, brethren, why did they get into this storm? Look at the end of verse 35. He says, let us pass over or let us go over unto the other side. He brought, you, he brought them into the storm, and he's going to bring them through it. If you're in a storm, that's why you're in a storm. The Lord says, let's go over to the other side. It's part of getting to the other side. Storms. Through much tribulation shall you enter into the kingdom of God. It is a given on the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, on his name, but also to suffer for his name's sake. Storms are part of getting to the other side. It's a lot easier, if you will, to enter a storm and to endure through a storm and to come out of the storm more faithful, more believing, more trustful, if you just believe God's word. God has said, let's go to the other side, and storms are part of that. So this is the calm before the storm, I believe. 37 and 38, as it begins, there's a calm even in the storm. In 37, and there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he, the Lord Jesus, was in the stern. He was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, don't you care that we perish? This great storm of wind is a term for a hurricane. In the Greek, it literally says a great whirlwind of wind. And Luke's account says it descended upon the lake, upon the Sea of Galilee. And think about these disciples. They are very familiar with this lake. They grew up on this lake. They're familiar with storms on this lake. But this one's different. They should have been able to handle storms, but this one is different. You know, we don't have hurricanes on lakes. I guess maybe if you live around Lake Pontchartrain and it spills over, but we don't have hurricanes on lake. We have hurricanes in the ocean. But this is literally a hurricane. This was a God-ordained storm. 
sent to instruct the disciples. And I believe for them and for us, as God brings storms into our life, he often brings us to the extremity of our need. So when we're delivered, we know it's the Lord. It's nobody else. Only the Lord can deliver us. And he has brought them to the extremity of need so they'd see the sufficiency of his power to meet their need. Expect that, Christian. God would have us see him and trust him. And he has to do that often by bringing us to the extremity of need. You remember the story of Jacob. Jacob wrestles with this angel, this man, this God-man, however you see that, if it's pre-incarnate Christ, but he wrestles with this angel all night long. And what happened? The angel exhausted Jacob's strength. He could have ended it at any point. This is God, all-powerful, but he allows Jacob to wrestle with him all night long, and finally... It's over. He touches the hollow of his thigh, and it's over. The wrestling match is over. Jacob is exhausted, and what does Jacob say? I will not let you go except you bless me. I will cling to you. So, again, God brings us to the extremity of need, not to harm us, not to make us weaker, but to make us cling to him and to see him and know him. So here's the Lord teaching these disciples that he can be trusted even in the worst of circumstances. And this storm must have been an incredible one because these are experienced sailors. And they thought they were going to die. And Matthew, in his account in Matthew 8, what happens is described in the Greek as a seismos megas. Now that's not hard to figure out what that means. Seismos, it's a seismic event of mega proportions. This is basically a word for an earthquake. So we have a hurricane and we have an earthquake. This hurricane, this storm was so powerful, it is shaking the earth. It's shaking the waters with hurricane force winds. This is a huge storm. And verse 37 of our passage says, The waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. Luke puts it this way, They were filled with water and they were in jeopardy. In other words, you can imagine they're bailing water out of this ship as fast as they can trying to stay afloat, but they can't stay up. They're going down. It's dark. You ever been in a storm in the dark? It's one thing to be in a storm. Y'all had a really bad storm here recently. Was it at night or in the day? At night. That's a scary thing. You can't see what's coming. This is the situation. They're in a a storm during the dark, swamping this little boat. But Matthew says he remained asleep. He remained asleep. Brethren, that ought to give us even a clearer picture of his true humanity. He is sleeping through this hurricane so bad it's like an earthquake. And he is asleep. That's how exhausted he was. He is a real man. He's a real human being. And I assure you, he understands your weariness. He understands when you get exhausted. He understands when you're to the end of your physical capability. He understands because he's been there. And he knows. And he is sound asleep, peacefully asleep, in this storm. Now, can a real man have composure in a storm? Yes, you just saw it right here. He's a real man, and he had composure. And there's a few reasons, I believe, for this. First of all, his exhaustion. He's just too tired to wake up. But secondly, he has a conscience void of offense before God and man. 
if you've had storms of life, you still have to rest. I know it's hard, but you have to sleep. You will sleep if you get exhausted enough, but you can also lay down and rest, even when you're in a terrible trial of life, if your conscience is clear before God. But thirdly, and I think most importantly, he trusted in his Heavenly Father. Complete trust in God. The psalmist says, what time I am afraid, what? I will trust in thee. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. Well, this is how to be composed in the storm of life. This is how to rest. This is how to sleep, trusting in the Lord. Well, it's certainly notable to see that no one else in that ship except the Lord Jesus was calm in this storm. The disciples weren't. In the end of verse 38, they wake him and they say, Master, don't you care that we perish? Don't you care? It seems like you don't care. Does that sound familiar? Have you ever had that sentiment when you're in a storm? Lord, it just seems like you don't care. Everything's going wrong. You're sinking. And God seems to either be asleep or you're just unaware of his presence. Lord, this is hurting me. Lord, this is killing me. I can't deal with this, Lord. Don't you care? It's a common, common sentiment for believers in storms. Listen again to the psalmist, Psalm 10. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide yourselves in time, hide yourself in times of trouble? Psalm 44, 23 and 24. Awake, why do you sleep, O Lord? Arise, cast us not off forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our affliction and oppression? So this is not an uncommon sentiment. But beloved, if we believe that God is sovereign in all things, and I trust that we do, if we believe he's working all things after the counsel of his own will, even though it seems if he is asleep, so to speak, and unaware about what we're going through, we have to trust his word. When we murmur, when we complain, when we worry in the midst of storms, we're essentially saying just what these disciples said. Master, don't you care? Don't you care? We're guilty of unbelief. Because he has said to you, Christian, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He has said to you, Christian, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. That's his word, and we can rest in that. So just because the Lord seems to be silent towards us in the storm, it doesn't mean he's not with us. And sure doesn't mean he doesn't care. We know better. Didn't he bring us into it? Let us pass over to the other side. That's the way we get there. We have to go through storms. He is going to sustain you in it. He's going to be with you in it. So rather than focus on the storm, What might happen, what could happen, he would have us trust him. That's what this is all about. He says there in verse 40, how is it that you have no faith? This is about trusting him in a storm. 
in a sense, it's a little amusing to me. Here we have seasoned sailors calling on a carpenter to get them out of a storm. (laughs) Nazareth is a long way from the Sea of Galilee. Jesus wasn't raised on the Sea of Galilee. But they're not looking for a carpenter's solution to a sailor's dilemma. They are looking for divine intervention. They're looking for help from God. You know, by now they know that Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth, that they've been following for a while, they know he has connections with God. They've seen it. They've seen him act and work and speak. They know he's capable of divine intervention. And that's their only hope. They're to the end. And maybe the one who has divine power over illness, divine power over demons, divine power over disease, maybe this God will enable this Jesus, this man Jesus, to get them out of this. And they were probably afraid to wake Jesus up, but they were afraid not to. Isn't it amazing, beloved, when trouble comes, when trials come? And I hope we do, but sometimes we don't. Sometimes we don't. Wake him up, and you understand how what I'm meaning. We don't run to him in prayer. We begin to worry and fret and call this person or this person and let them know what's going on. Brethren, wake him up. He's not really asleep. He's there. But seek him. They were afraid to wake him, but they were afraid not to wake him. So there was this calm in the storm, and that calm was Jesus, the creator of this storm, the ruler of this storm, and there's always a calm in your storm. If you're in a storm right now, there's a calm in that storm. And I can say this, the calm in every storm is the Lord Jesus. It's not really what He can do, but He is the calm in the storm. He's the comforter. Well, I thought the Spirit was the comforter. Yes, the Spirit is the comforter, but Jesus is the comfort. The Spirit takes all the things of Christ and reveals them to you. He directs you to Jesus. Because He is our comfort in every storm. The third little heading here is the calm after the storm. In verse 39, He arose. He woke up. He rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. When Jesus woke up, two amazing things happened here. First of all, he speaks to his creation. He didn't brace himself. He didn't roll up his sleeves. He didn't raise a staff. He didn't call on a higher power. He is the power. He is the higher power. He simply spoke to his creation. Not a chant, not an incantation, simply peace. Be still. That's it speaks to a hurricane hurricane that feels like an earthquake, and he simply says, be quiet, be still. Much like if you have an unruly child, and you look to your child and you say, quiet, be still, stop that. That's simply all he did. And what's amazing to me is that unruly storm immediately got still and got quiet. It obeyed him. It obeyed him just like an obedient child would obey a parent. Mark says the wind ceased and there was great calm. In the Greek, that's megas galena. And that simply means great tranquility. It means it was dead calm. 
we just got back from a beach trip. It was beautiful this time. Water was clear and fairly quiet. It was just a beautiful trip. We've been there in a tropical storm before. And we were there when this tropical storm passed. There was no more wind, but the sea was still churned up with big waves for days. And that's typically what happened. You take away the wind, but there's enough energy in the ocean. Those waves don't just calm all of a sudden, but not here. The creator of, these, of this storm said, peace, be still, and immediately there was a dead calm. Now what is Mark telling us here? Because this is very, a very specific piece of information. He is telling you and I that this is the creator of the wind and the sea. This is the Son of God that has been proven by his birth, proven by his victory over Satan, proven by his victory over disease, proven by his victory over demons, proven by his power and victory over all things, especially his power over his own creation. This is the Son of God. And this miraculous demonstration of his power would seem to be enough to convince me who I was dealing with if I was there in the boat with him. It would certainly be a lesson for faith. And again, verse 40, the issue here is, how is it that you have no faith? And every trial of life, brethren, is a trial of your faith. Peter learned this in his own epistle in the first chapter. He says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes by fire. Every trial for a Christian is a trial of your faith. It's not meant to weaken you. It's meant to build you up in the faith. And make you more trusting of, of God. In Matthew's account, the Lord says, Why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? In Luke's account, Jesus says simply, Where is your faith? Why don't you believe? Why don't you believe who I am? And for every true believer, the Lord would have us see that the critical factor in our faith is not its strength, but its object. And these are things that I know, most of you know very well, and you probably have heard this illustration, but it's a, it's a very great illustration to me. Imagine you're falling off a cliff, and sticking out of that cliff is one branch. And that branch is strong enough to hold you if you grab it, but you don't know that it's strong enough to hold you. And as you fall, you have just enough time to reach out and grab that branch. Now, how much faith in the strength of that branch, do you have to have to grab it? <laughs> do you have to be totally sure that that branch can save you? Of course not. You have to simply have enough faith to grab it. That's because it's not the quantity of our faith that saves us. It's the object of our faith. And the strength of the object of our faith. It's the strength of your faith in the branch, it's not the strength of your faith in the branch that matters, it's the strength of the branch itself. And Jesus Christ is the branch. And storms ultimately reveal where our faith is. If our faith is in favorable circumstances, happy family, healthy family, prosperity, the storm's going to reveal that. It's going to shake things up. And reveal what's inside of us, as the brother said. Search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See what's in me. And that's what storms do. 
Well, I believe the faith of these disciples received a big boost that day. But it's very interesting to me, their reaction doesn't really reveal that. It doesn't demonstrate that. You would expect them to say after they saw and heard what the Lord did, Lord, we will never, 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 as long as we live, doubt you. As long as you're around, we will trust you. We're not going to worry about anything. We've seen your power demonstrated among us. We've seen enough. We're convinced. But that's not their response. That's not their reaction. Verse 41, and this is just the last point here, they feared exceedingly. Now get this, the water's calm, the storm's over. And the Bible says they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Well, this is the storm after the calm. You see, verse 40, Jesus says that during the storm they feared. Why so fearful? Now, after the storm is over, all is quiet and calm. It says they feared exceedingly. Why? Well, what's more fearful than having a storm outside your boat is having God, a very God, in your boat. (laughs) Maybe for the first time in these men's life, they really knew who they were dealing with. This is the living God in their boat. This is the creator. This is the controller of creation that's in their boat. And the terror set in. A different kind of fear. An awe of this man, Jesus Christ. You remember on another occasion, Peter couldn't catch any fish in Luke chapter 5. And Jesus told him, launch out in the deep. Peter threw his net over there and the Bible says... They had so many fish in the net, they couldn't bring them in. you remember Peter's response? Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. It's very similar here. I mean, what kind of reaction is this? This is a reaction of somebody who knows that the Creator of all creation, of all living animals, all fish in the sea, where they go, and He tells them to go there... He sees that, and that knowledge puts fear in a person's heart because if God sees you, if you see God, He sees you. And that's what we pray for. We pray that you would see and have the knowledge of the glory of God and see that in the face of Jesus Christ because if you just see that, you know He sees you and it will humble you and you will plead for mercy and you will come to Him if you can just see Him. That knowledge puts a fear in our heart. We see His glory. We know He sees us through and through. He sees our sin. And that's a very normal response throughout the Scriptures. You know the story of Job. You get to the end of the story of Job. As God began to reveal Himself more and more to Job, Job says, I abhor myself. Job Job was a godly man who feared God. He hated evil, but the more he saw of God, the more he saw it was not perfect yet in him. Isaiah 6, you know, he was brought into the very throne room of God, holy, holy, holy. And he said, woe is me, 
I'm a man of unclean lips. Ezekiel had the same experience in the first chapter. Daniel had the same experience in the 10th chapter of Daniel. John the Apostle in the first chapter of Revelation, when he saw the vision of Christ, it says he fell at his feet as dead. There's a terror about being in the very presence of God. It's a very terrifying thing to realize that you're in the presence of God. But let me say this, it is a very good thing. The fear of the Lord is just the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. It's a good thing to fear the Lord. Well, he says in verse 41, they're exceedingly fearful at this point, and and they say, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? It's a rhetorical question. It doesn't even have to have an answer. Mark doesn't even give us an answer to that question. But it seems to me the passage ends by fixing our attention on the person of Jesus Christ. So that everyone who reads this, everyone here who hears this today, you give your own answer. You profess your own faith in this God-man Jesus Christ. You add your own doxology to this question, what manner of man is this? Finally, to me, there's another blessed aspect to the storm after the call, uh, after the calm. Mark, I believe, has deliberately laid this account out using language that's parallel, almost identical to the language of the Old Testament prophet Jonah. You see, both Jesus and Jonah were in a ship. Both ships were overtaken by a storm. The descriptions of the storms are almost identical. Terrible storms. Both Jesus and Jonah are asleep in the boat. In both stories, remember the men wake up. Wake up Jonah. We're about to perish. They wake up Jesus. We're about to perish. And in both cases, a miraculous divine intervention calm the storm. Even more so in both stories, the men then, after the storm is calmed, the men in the ship became more fearful than they were before the storm. Two almost identical stories with obviously one great difference. In the midst of the storm in Jonah, Jonah says, remember to the other men, In effect, there's only one thing to do. If I perish, you will survive. In other words, if I die, you will live. And you can read that in Jonah 1.12. And so they cast Jonah into the sea, and the storm is calmed, and they survive. We know this doesn't happen in Mark's account with the Lord Jesus. Or does it? Brethren, I think Mark is showing us that these stories aren't really that different at all. If you look at them with, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story in mind. You see, in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says, One greater than Jonah is here. And he's referring to himself. He is saying, I am the greater and the true Jonah. I think the Lord meant that one day I am going to still all storms. I'm going to calm all waves of life. One day I'm going to destroy destruction. One day I am going to break brokenness. One day I am going to kill death. 
And how can He do that? He can do it, beloved, because when He was on the cross of Calvary, He was thrown willingly into the storm of God's wrath. Like Jonah was thrown into the storm, the Lord Jesus was thrown into the storm of God's wrath under the ultimate waves of sin and death for us. Jesus was thrown into the only storm that will ultimately destroy you. And it's the storm of God's wrath. The storm of God's eternal justice. That which we all deserve for our sin. He was thrown willingly into that. And that storm was not calm for him. Not until it swept him away. Not until it completely consumed him. And swallowed him up. There's a great storm coming, beloved. It's the storm of God's wrath against sin. Unless you're found in him. Who thrust himself into the wrath of God for sinners. Unless you're found in him, that wrath and that storm will fall upon you. And it will consume you. But, if the sight of the Lord Jesus bowing His head into that ultimate storm is burned into your soul by His grace through faith, you will never, ever, ever again say, Lord, don't you care that we perish? You think He doesn't care? He cares. He gave His life that you wouldn't have to be consumed by that storm. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now let's wrap this up. If you know He didn't abandon you in that ultimate storm, what makes you think He's going to abandon you in these lesser storms of life? You know He won't. You know He cares. He's demonstrated it in the most powerful way possible. One day he's going to come and he's going to still every storm of life. And let us let that sink down in our souls and know how much he loves us and how much he cares. Let me just read a few scriptures for your consideration and I'll be done. Psalm 93, verse 3 through 5. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters. Yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. Thy testimonies are very sure. Holiness becomes thine house, O Lord, forever. Isaiah 43, 1-3. Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. And lastly, just turn to Psalm 107. Verse 21. 
knowing what we know about storms and about that ultimate storm, may this instruct us going forward. Psalm 107, beginning in verse 21. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. And let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare His works with rejoicing. They that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. For He commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven, they go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at, wit, at, at their wit's end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and He brings them out of their distresses. He makes the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad, because they be quiet. So He brings them unto their desired haven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your faithfulness in every way. For your faithfulness to bring storms. For your faithfulness to sustain us in the storm and to bring us through the storm. But, oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for your faithfulness to enter that storm of God's wrath on our behalf. Thank you that there is now no condemnation for those that are in you. Thank you that the, the wrath of God has been poured out completely upon the Son for every one of your people. Thank you that you are indeed God, the very Son of God that came to save sinners. Thank you that that fountain for sin and uncleanness is still open today. Lord, strengthen your saints, build us up in our most holy faith. If they're here, those outside of Christ who do not know you in truth and reality, oh Lord, would you bring to bear upon them the storm of your holy wrath against their sin. And Lord, may they flee to the Lord Jesus, their city of refuge, their, uh, their Savior, their Redeemer, and their friend. We ask these things for Jesus' blessed name and for his glory's sake. Amen.